So you'll see a, a picture on the screen. I don't know how many of you might know Society of St. Andrew, um, but their motto is gleaning America's fields, feeding America's hungry. In just the first six months of this year, 2023, the impact of the Society of St. Andrew, they have gleaned over and distributed more than 7.6 million pounds of fresh produce. And that is in a little over 2,000 events or days of gleaning with a little over 7,200 volunteers. There is 450 farmers across America in these first six months that have partnered with Society of St. Andrew in providing fields to be gleaned. There's over 900 agencies these first six months that have taken these 7.6 pounds of produce and distributed it in servings to families that count for 30.7 million meals. Listen to this statistic, though. The pounds of food that have already been wasted in the U.S. the first six months of this year 76.9 billion, with a B, pounds. And that happens through fields, transportation, supermarkets, restaurants, and of course, in our homes. Just think about what we might throw away at home. When I was in Wilmington and served there for a number of years um, with... Uh, Pine Valley Church, we partnered with the Society of St. Andrew, and several months a year, there was a group of us that would go out into the fields, and we would glean on Saturday, and, and we would gather pounds after pounds, hundreds of pounds of produce, and it was different fields during the gathering or harvesting time, and at the end of the day, whenever we finished what we were doing, the representative from the Society of St. Andrew would be there collecting that produce, and he or she would say to us, well, folks, today you gleaned, and she would give us the pounds. And then she would equate that to, and this is how many meals what you've done today was served. And often I would find myself in tears, and really for two reasons. One was I was thankful that God gave me the ability and opportunity to make some difference at that point in time in my life. But secondly, knowing that there was so much produce in the fields that was wasted for those that were hungry or poor or in need. The definition for gleaning, as you will hear today and as we will look at today in the context of 
our scripture is gathering that that is left over in the fields for the poor or for the needy. That's the definition. And you can say, well, gleaning has a broader definition, and it does. You can glean scripture. You can glean something that is being done into yourself as you review or look over. But today's context is gleaning the fields. So that is the context for the, the scripture today in the book of Ruth. As we will see this is a prominent piece in our text today. And we will see as we look at Ruth and gleaning of the fields, how grace comes into play and how it flows through. Yes, even gleaning was prominent in the 14th and 15th century B.C. as it is today. The gleaning has always been, when it comes to gleaning the fields, has been for the poor and the outcast, those who might otherwise experience starvation. But it is scriptural. Listen to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter and the 22nd verse. When you reap the harvests of your land, and God is talking to the Israelites, he says, when you Reap the harvest of your land. Moreover, you shall not reap the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. Talking about there in the corner of your fields. You are to leave them for the needy. And listen to what he says. And the alien, the outcast. I am the Lord your God is how that verse ends. And so God, God mandate, mandated and mandates the, the gleaning for produce to help the needy and the outcast. You might ask and be thinking, okay, Marty, we are in this series of living well in a broken world. How in the world is this text or gleaning going to have anything to do with how we live well in a broken world. And all I would ask of you is just to stay with me till the end. Just, just stay with me till the end. Listen to how this text unfolds and hopefully how the Holy Spirit has led me to give context to it. But just stay with me till the end. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we are in Ruth 2 now, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 17. It is a lengthy text, but it, it bears listening to as we worship this morning through his word. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth in the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Mobitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one who, whose sight I might, might find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to a portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. 
Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go, go from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have you found favor in why have I found favor in your sight that you would show, take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindness to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. In meantime, Boaz said to her, Come here and take that you might eat the bread and dip your piece of the bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded her servant, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epoch of barley. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Illuminate our hearts, Father, this morning for what you would hold for us through your holy word. We pray this in your name. Amen. The book of Ruth is the eighth book in the Old Testament, and the biblical numerology of eight is signifying a new beginning. Seven days of creation, we have the eighth day, a new beginning. Here we see that Ruth 
experiences this amazing grace of God that is bringing something to her life that she has never experienced before. God's grace transforms us. God's grace infuses us. And this morning, as we look at this text, I want you to imagine Boaz as a figure of Christ, and I want you to imagine Ruth as us, the way we once were and the way we are as we come to salvation in Jesus Christ. I want you to remember two things. Grace is receiving what we do not deserve. You can't earn it. And mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. And so I'm going to use three A words, kind of to help you remember, three A words to talk about the grace this morning. And the first one is God's grace is amazing. God's grace is amazing. In verses 1 through 8a, we, we see and we take notice that Ruth was rejected. You say, wait a minute. Well, she was, and, and let me explain. In, in verse 2, she's identified as a Moabitess. And, and when Boaz comes to his servant and says, who is this stranger that is gleaning? Who is this woman? Who does she belong to? The servant answered, who was over all the reapers, this is the Moabite woman that came with Naomi. Now, when we talked about someone like we identify, well, they came from Canada, or they came from England, or maybe they came from Mexico, and we don't think anything about it as identifying someone of where they came from. But in this case, it was significant. Because to a Jew, a Moabitess or someone from Moab, they were the enemy. And if you read Deuteronomy 23, you will see that even God identifies those that live as Amorites or Moabites, he says, look, because of their wickedness, you can go back and look it up, because of their wickedness, uh, they are subject to condemnation. Not only condemnation from me, but condemnation from the nation of Israel. They were not permitted, as they would go into the nation of Israel, to hold any any office, they could not serve in upward mobility in any way. They were looked down on, and in the most case, they were looked at as enemies of the state. And so, nationally, Ruth was a member of, of Moab. That's where she was born. That's who she's been identified as. And... Her race is judged. Her race is under condemnation. It is a nation of people that was rejected. And now Ruth is identified in the same light. But Ruth is a type of picture that we all should be able to identify with. Because you see, we were condemned, and we were alienated, and we were enemies of God before 
we were saved. We were all sinners under the condemnation of God. We were wicked in our life. We were cut off from a holy God. We were under the wrath and the judgment of this holy God. The Apostle Paul, he tells us our condition in Ephesians 2. Listen to what Paul says. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you were formerly walked, you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that now is working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too, he even identifies himself, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And then there's this great but. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive again with Christ, for by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the age to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. This is our condition that Paul gives us. We were once in this state. We were once dominated by the prince of the air, Satan. We were once living according to the way of a lost world. We were once under Satan's control. Under his commands, we were spiritually disobedient. The spirit of disobedience, Paul says, was within us. We were rebellious to God's word. We were resistant to his ways. We were resentful of what God would even call us to. Our lives were filled with lust and desire, immorality, wickedness. We were damned eternally to hell. We were children of wrath, Paul says. We were no better off than the way Ruth was looked at or Ruth was treated. All sinners under condemnation. But you might say, well, but Marty, what does that have to do with me? Well, in reality, before we were saved, that's who we were. We were all sinners in need of God's grace. And yes, that paints a terrible picture. Ruth was rejected, but we see that 
Ruth was received. And that's the next piece under this amazing grace of God, that while we were rejected, Christ comes to us and calls us to himself, and we are received. Ruth was a Moabite, but take notice in verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Listen carefully, my daughter. Boaz did not receive her as a foreigner. He received her as family. The law would reject her, but Boaz, as a follower of Jehovah God, would receive her just as she is. And this is the story of all of us, right? When we were condemned and without hope, when we were lost in a lost world, we were rejected. But then came God's amazing grace. God forgave us. He has received us. He has accepted us. We are part of his family. We who were sinners are now, by grace, saints. We were who were children of wrath are now received. We who were poor and worthless, devastated, hell-bound, condemned by God, were washed by the blood of the Lamb. We were cleansed and regenerated and refreshed and renewed in Christ Jesus. And that's what we call grace. The Apostle John said in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are now, we are now sons of God. That's amazing grace. Peter, Peter speaks of it in this way and just want to read these two verses. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the whole church should say, Amen. This is who God is and his love for us that he would show us mercy. Ruth was a Moabite, but Boaz saw her as a daughter. You would say, well, wait a minute, she was family. No, Elimelech was family. She was a Moabite from Moab who came with her mother-in-law, no blood relative, to come and she is worshiping. She has come to Israel with Naomi. She has been received by God. She is walking with God. That's his amazing grace. Once rejected, 
now received. But there's another thing that we see in this text, and here's the second A word, and that is God's grace is abundant. Ephesians 2, 7 that I read, Paul said, Exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 7. And if you remember, I said last week and then a couple of weeks prior to that, that this word hesed in the Hebrew means loving kindness. And God has poured his loving kindness abundantly on us. When we talk about God's grace, we speak about all that God has given us. Example, 2 Corinthians 4.15. Paul writes, For all things are for your sake, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, might abound to the glory of God. Grace is abundant in our life. And so how does this abundant grace play out? First, I believe this abundant grace gives or brings direction to our life. Look at verse 8 and 9. Boaz says to Ruth, Do not go glean in another field, furthermore, do not go from this one. Stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on this field. Reap with them. She receives words of guidance and direction from Boaz. You don't need to go anywhere else. You need to stay here. You need to be a part of what's going on here. No one else, no one else's fields. Just stay with my workers. Glean here. And so Boaz shows an abundant grace towards her, giving her clear understanding and direction. Grace does that. It brings that into our life. As, as we live into God's grace, it brings that abundant guidance and direction before us. Before we were saved, we were like a, a ship on a stormy sea without a, a captain who could be blown in any direction at any time, anywhere. But once we were saved, Jesus Christ, our captain, boarded our ship, and he now gives direction. He takes the compass and points it in the direction that he wants us to go. How do we know? Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in all the way which you should go. I will counsel you, and my eye will be upon you. This is the promise from our God, from Jesus Yes, grace brings direction into our life. I also believe that grace brings protection into our life. Look at verse 9. I have commanded the servants not to touch you. Boaz was concerned that some might take advantage of Ruth. It, it just would happen almost not by happenstance, but by commonality. She was a foreigner. She was one that was despised by the Jews from those people that were despised. And often they would take advantage of those who would come into Israel, come into Judah, come in from somewhere foreign, and they would take advantage of them. And furthermore, it's believed that this is a beautiful woman 
who might have been taken advantage of. And Boaz makes sure that she is safe. Boaz treats her as family. God is watching over our life. He is the keeper of our soul. He is the guard of our life. He has promised in Psalm 121.5 that the Lord is our keeper. He will keep us, sustain us, watch over us. He watches over his own and brings abundant protection. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. John 14, I am with you always. Hebrew, the Hebrew writer says, and I will never forsake you, the Lord says. And so we have this protection as we experience and live into the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then abundant grace brings satisfaction to our life. Note again in verse 9, when you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from, the, from what the servants have drawn. Under the law at that time, the Jews would never allow a foreigner to come and drink from their ladle or drink from their jars. That was absolutely forbidden. There was no way that she would be allowed to do that. Yet Boaz tells her, come if you're thirsty. Come and drink from the very jar, the very ladle that my servants, other Jews, are drinking from. If you are thirsty, satisfy your soul. This was just unheard of. Could you imagine what his workers thought as they looked on and heard Boaz tell her to come? But Boaz offers her this grace of satisfaction. Abundant grace that God has given us will satisfy our life. When, when God calls us and we live into that grace, God says, I will bring satisfaction to you. Before you were saved, you were living as laborers in a hot and burning sun, and you were without a drop of water to quench your thirst. But now, because of grace, I will quench the thirst. Jesus says, I will quench your thirst. I will satisfy your longing. That hole that you had in your heart is now filled with Christ. And he will satisfy. And he will satisfy abundantly more than anything else in this world could or ever will. And so this abundant grace gives direction in life, protection for life, and satisfaction to life. Because we have experienced the grace of God, this personal experience that God gives us in his grace. And then finally, the, the last word is astounding. God's grace is astounding. Everything that happened happened so fast for Ruth. One day, Ruth didn't know, uh, you know where her next meal was coming from. She and Naomi came back. They weren't sure that they would be recepted or received. And here she is having to go out and glean for her and her mother-in-law so that they will have food on the table, so that they will not be hungry, experienced starvation. Notice how this affected her. Notice how the grace that Boaz 
And again, thinking of Boaz in essence of a, a picture of Christ, look at how she received this grace. And the first thing is, is it was overwhelming to her heart. This astounding grace was overwhelming to her heart. Look at verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing on the ground, and she said to Boaz, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? It was more than she could believe. It was more than she could even take in. She was overwhelmed. Why would you do this? Why? It's what she had hoped for. Did you notice that in, in, in verse 2 of Ruth, she asked of this, that she would receive favor as she went out? Let me go out in the field, Naomi, so that I can receive favor. And that was what she was hoping for, probably never wondering or even thinking that it would come about, but she did. And Boaz poured out his grace into her and into her heart, into her life like she had never experienced before. And I would submit to you that this grace that God has given you and given me, it should be overwhelming. It should be at some point that we would fall on our knees and thank God for what he has done. Because if it was not for Jesus Christ, we would not have this grace and mercy. Has God's grace and mercy overwhelmed you in some way? Or is it just, I don't know. The truth is, we were all a mess. There was nothing about us that deserved God's grace, his love. There was nothing that merited Jesus Christ coming from heaven and dying on a cross and taking my sins on him. There was nothing about me that I was worthy of that. But yet he did. He did. He died on the cross for me and for you. It should be overwhelming in our heart to realize that God loved, and you make it personal, loved me enough to save me and make me his child. She asks why, and, and Boaz in this text, he, he recants a, a change in her life. In other words, he says, look, you have taken care of your mother-in-law. You have come back with her. You've lost your husband. You have traveled from this far land. You have left your mother and your father and all of your family and the land where you were birthed, and, and you have come. And, and Boaz is saying, look, you, you have been blessed. You are a blessing, and you have been blessed. Ruth's experience of kindness and, and grace from Boaz, she embraced because she has embraced Jehovah God. She is now part of the family of Jehovah God. She, as we see moving forward in this, this text in, in, in coming weeks, that we will see the heart of Ruth. She was trusting 
in the Lord God of Israel. You see, it was not the works. Boaz is saying, because of whose you are now, you have been a blessing to your mother-in-law. It was overwhelming to her soul, this abundance. Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, as I read, For grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It is a gift from God. And he goes on to say that no one could boast. So amazing, abundant grace is experienced in faith as one puts their faith and trust in the Lord. It is not because we can earn it or have earned it, deserve it or have deserved it, merited it or achieved it. It's simply because we have put our trust in our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And it's overwhelming to our soul. And then finally, Ruth experienced the overflow, overflowing of the heart. Look at verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Her heart was overflowing. She had a desire to please Boaz. She, she wanted to find favor before him. She wanted to find favor in his eyes. A desire to please God should be a response to our receiving his grace and mercy. That should be our response of our heart is overflowing to the point that we want to serve, we want to give back, we want to live into all that God has called us to. So let me ask you a question. You can just let it resonate in your mind maybe today. Do we wake up every day saying, Lord, I want to please you and glorify you in everything I do today. Is that what we say? Lord, I want to please you and glorify you in everything I do today. So how do you tie it in? Well, here's how I'm going to tie it in. Boaz pours fields of grace over Ruth. Boaz pours fields of grace over Ruth. In, in verses 14 through 17, uh, we read that he welcomes her into his house. He feeds her, even to the point of more than she could even eat. He sets with her. He sets up a place for her to glean, glean with his maidservants. In other words, becoming a part of his family. He commands that she is cared for, not insulted. Ruth gleans until the evening, verse 17 says, and she prepares what she has gleaned to take home for food for her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Boaz pours fields of grace over Ruth. Folks, as with Boaz, we are called to pour the grace that we have received 
over others. How do we live well in a broken world? We live into the grace that God has called us to. He has offered us this grace and mercy. And he tells us that we are the image of Christ. We are to be Christ-like. If we are followers, if you claim when someone says, who are you, and you say, I am a Christian, then you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You have experienced his grace and mercy in your life. And God has called us to do exactly what Boaz has done. And you see, it doesn't matter if that person doesn't look like us. It doesn't really matter if that person doesn't think like us. It doesn't really matter if they don't believe like us. We are to offer them grace. The grace of Jesus Christ. And yes, we speak truth in love. You did not hear me say that we are to agree with anyone's immoral life or living outside of what God has prescribed for us. But we are to offer grace. Boaz is a perfect example. If you read this text again and look at this, you see Boaz's heart poured over Ruth. God has poured that same grace over us. And as we live in this broken world, I will tell you, we will bring more people through Christ, working in their life to Christ by grace and love than we will with hatred and condemnation. It's just a fact. God loves us. His grace is amazing. It is abundant. It is astounding for us. Why wouldn't we share it? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for just reminding us today. For some of us, this may be a reminder. For others, it may be a refreshing. For others, Father, that may be watching online or watch. Uh, this, this sermon at a later date may not know you, may be part of this world and the prince of this world and have not surrendered their life. And so, Father, we, we just pray that this text, this sermon has brought a refreshing or a renewing or a calling to our lives to experience the grace that you offer us. Something that we cannot earn or do for ourselves that you have done through your son, our Savior, Jesus. So, Father, thank you. I, I, I just pray this morning, all of us in this place, these online, would just say thank you, Jesus, this morning for what you have done for me. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.